0: Good morning, morning. if you have your Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Genesis 49, Genesis chapter 49, Hmm. and if you don't happen to have a Bible, uh, we'll bring one to you, just raise your hand so you can follow along. Ask the Lord's blessing on our time. Father, I love Your Word. It never changes, but it's always changing me. I thank You, Father, for the consistent, pure, beautiful, soul-searching, weak hand-strengthening encouragement that comes from the written Word of the living God. Oh, Father, how I love Your Word. And I pray that as we get near to being done with this series in Genesis, I thank You, Lord God, for how You have affected my soul from each and every line of this book, and the challenges that have been there week in, week out, Lord. So I pray that you would graciously bless the preaching of your word today again. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord's not done with me yet. I'm just a work in progress. You ever said that? Anybody else ever said that about you? (laughs) Anybody sitting right beside you right now ever said that to you? No, okay. <clears throat> It leaves me uh, just always kind of moved in my soul knowing that there is a sovereign of the universe who's patient with Dan. You ever been there where you're doing a project, probably a home project or something, and when you got into it, it turns out it's a much larger project than you ever imagined it was going to be? Because it's just a matter of sweating a couple fittings except for, oh, look at that, it's uh, cast iron. Great. Um, and the more you dig into it, the dif- more difficult it gets. So you invite a friend to come over, and the friend comes over, and they look into it, and they go, wow, um, I just remembered i got to go somewhere. <laughs> but, but they stay with you. They stay with you, and they're patient with you, and their language is more along the lines of, that is quite a task. What do we have to do and how can I go to it with you? I don't know about you, that always breathes kind of a, a fresh um, life into me, Put some, some wind in the sails like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a good a friend in Eastern Oregon that he said his son would always say, well, let's go over the next hill because they'd be hunting and they'd look, no deer, well, let's go over the next hill. Let's, just an annoying optimist this young man was. But there's something about that, beloved, when you feel just weak and and like, oh, man, God, I just don't have it. And he makes it known to you that I know you don't. I do. (laughs) The whole point, by the way, was that, that you recognize you don't and I do. I have been so deeply moved by that reality, by this man, Jacob. This guy, Jacob, I know I've said this, and, I'm, and I, every time I say I know I've said this means I'm going to say it again. You know that. <clears throat> this guy has profoundly, what God has said about him, done in him, and the storyline, touched my, my life, my heart. Because he's such a lost cause at the start. He's a throwaway guy. He's a liar. He's a cheat. He's manipulated by his mom, and he tricks his dad, and tricks his brother. It's like, what what a waste. Go. Go away. This guy's not worth the time. And day in, day out of of his life, the Lord is there the next morning, and the next morning, and the next morning, and the next morning, saying, Jacob, we all know what you're like but i will be faithful to you and yes i'm not done with you you are you are a work in progress it is a marvelous story told with one clear glorious reality that jacob's god loves him and has patiently lovingly brought him to greater and greater experience of maturity and intimacy with god those are the two that i would i would argue two of the greatest things that we see over and over and over again taking place incrementally in this man's life is he has greater and greater uh, God's love and God's patience and God's intimacy with him. As, As the Lord just continues to move with him, we also see this man mature. He grows. You can see it in his words. You can see it in his actions. God's allowing you and me To to watch this guy who's on display to go from the lying cheat with animal hair glued to his arms to a patriarch of patriarchs. A man who has stood toe to toe with incredible difficulty and who has stood before the very face of the living God. So this morning we now come to his death. And it's interesting when you study biographies and you, you see about how somebody's life kicked off, where they were born, how they were raised, where they were raised. Then you see some of the triumphal things and some of the low spots and their failures. A good biography, at least, will show you the failures. And then you come to the end and see how the Lord takes them home, how he takes them to himself. Well, that's where we're at with Jacob and I'm a little sad to see him go preachy, preaching, speaking, um, because I have so enjoyed learning about this guy. There's some definitely some Jacob in Dan, and I have been moved deeply in my heart by what God has done with him. If you remember chapter 48, Jacob called Joseph because Jacob was sick, so Joseph goes to Jacob. And Joseph takes his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, with him. Jacob poured a blessing out on Ephraim and Manasseh um, by a very strange thing. If you weren't here for that sermon, uh, it's on YouTube, you can check it out. But short and, and quick is that he adopted these two kids. He adopted the two sons from Joseph and said, I will make these two like my firstborn and secondborn." which at first you're kind of like, that's odd. In our culture, it would be a bit, okay? But in that culture, what he's saying is, that place of preeminence, I'm giving to your boys, who will now be my boys. And so in a, in a sense, it's a legal adoption of Ephraim and Manasseh, and he makes them his children and blesses them. And you remember the cross-arm blessing? I hope you remember that, that uh, Joseph set it up so that way the older would get the right hand, the younger gets the other hand. And Jacob goes like that and blesses the younger. The younger is going to be served by the older. And even Joseph goes, but, but father, I know, I know, but let it be. And in that moment, that tremendous blessing is poured out on Ephraim and Manasseh. Tricky part with 49 is that you ask this question, Was the rest present for that adoption and blessing? Or did the secretary say, You can go in now? And they walked in. I don't know the answer to that question. Because to me, um, it's one of those white spaces in your Bible where you struggle to think emotionally what kind of moment was this? Did the rest of the boys sit there going, What? Are you kidding me? Or were they not involved? I think the language lends itself to more of an intimate moment between Joseph, Ephraim, Manasseh, and Jacob. That's, that's what seems to make the most sense to me, but I also believe immediately these next words come. Primarily, I think that because Jacob's, um, the statement to Joseph in reference to Jacob's dying sounds immediate. And so I don't think a month passed and then the rest came in. I think what's on Jacob's mind is I have some declarations to make regarding my family, and I want them here now. And so they come. Now, if you look at chapter 49, verse 1, I want to show you the setting behind Jacob's words to his sons. We're going to clear the whole chapter, maybe. Then Jacob summoned his sons and said, gather together that i may tell you what i what will befall you in the last days assemble together and hear o sons of jacob and listen to israel your father now this is tricky because this is not merely a dad's wishes for his kids if you merely read this as jacob saying I hope, like if you, everything he says here in reference to each boy begins with, and I'm hoping, he doesn't do that. Not only that, but the way he sets this up, there is a high level of confidence and authority in what he's about to say to the boys. And so I believe that Jacob, to some degree, has some kind of understanding. This is far deeper than my words, but these are the words of God being told to these men. This is prophetic speech from Jacob in reference to his sons and in reference to his sons' lineage, those that will come from his sons. Because if you notice, um, in this translation, it makes reference to last days. Other translations make reference to days to come. The idea behind that language is this is what's going to be coming in your future as a people not simply for you individuals, but you as a people. And I'm not going to do this this morning, so I challenge you to take this on. Track through these prophecies that he says for each son and their tribe, and you'll see that this this plays out very much that way. Um, But I don't want to do 17-part series on chapter 49. So Jacob summons them, they come together, And he says, this is what is going to happen in the days to come in your life. And listen to Israel, your father. Remember, Israel wrestles with God. He was given that name from the Lord. So yes, Jacob is their father, but he's now Israel, a man who has been in the presence of Almighty God, speaking this this word to his sons, and by God's Holy Spirit prophesying what is coming in the future for their people my best guess is they aligned by age. Somehow around the bed, the 12 came in and they aligned by age. When he says assemble, I don't think that merely means get in the room. And what makes the most sense to me is that it went by age and there's Reuben standing in his spot as numero uno, oldest, strong. This is my place. I'm here. Now the reason... I was saying earlier about the promise to Ephraim and Manasseh, is if they were in the room, I don't think he'd be as cocky. But perhaps he was cocky. The text does not say. But regardless, the brothers assemble around Dad, and Dad is now going to give this speech out to them. The language used here is fascinating. He uses different devices to communicate these prophecies he's speaking to each man. There's some word plays, there's some animals that he uses as far as imagery in reference to what is in the future of these folks. There are some tricky pieces to interpretation, but for the majority, it's very very quick to understand. It's pretty clear what he's communicating about each son. So you picture the eyes of dad. Remember, he can't see very well, right? We saw that in chapter 48. He can barely see, if at all. And here's the boys these men that he has felt such love for, such disappointment in, such anger towards if you think if you remember all the stuff he's gone through with these boys. I say boys, they're men at the time obviously, but to him they're always boys. I'm little Danny when I go home. Every year, it never changes. <clears throat> and so he looks Reuben or at least somehow motions to Reuben and says this. Reuben, you're my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my vigor, preeminent in dignity, and preeminent in strength. Now, doing pretty good, right? <laughs> I picture Reuben sitting there going, all right, he forgot about everything that I've done up to this point. Preeminent in dignity. You are. You are my strength, my vigor, my firstborn, my special. I remember uh, right when when Meggie was born and calling different people and just saying, hey, we just had a baby, and, and it's a girl, and, and just tell him all that, and just that. Pride's a bad thing, right? But man, that day. <laughs> uncontrolled as water. You shall not have preeminence. Talk about anticlimactic for Reuben because you went up to your father's bed then you defiled it and then notice he switches here from you to he he went up to my couch you imagine the devastation in the moment from the lips of his dad to Reuben in the presence of his entire family that you are my vigor my strength my firstborn now remember beloved firstborn in the new testament or in the old testament rather has a a far more than simply, that's the oldest. It's, you have the the large portion. You're the firstborn. You're number one. You have a particular place of dignity and preeminence over everybody in the family. But not you, Reuben. Fascinating language, isn't it? Uncontrolled as water. Meaning, undependable can't trust you, no dignity, dirty rotten liar, you won't be preeminent, that's done, you lost it. Because if you recall, he went to bed with Bilhah, um, who was married to Jacob, and um, defiled his own father's bed. Okay, one down. Look at the next one. It gets worse. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are implements of violence. Let my soul not enter into their counsel. I wonder if their heads are hanging at this point. Let not my glory be united with their assembly, because in their anger they killed men, and in their self-will they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is strong, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them among Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Um, If you recall the defiling of their sister when that took place, and the two brothers went and they made a connection with Shechem and called Shechem all to take the sign uh, of circumcision. And they did. And then when they were in agony from that procedure, these men went in and absolutely slaughtered everybody. That that chapter... It's it's interesting um, if I had a little uh, keepsake book of all the tough sermons of Genesis. Lot and his daughters is number one, no doubt. But that chapter gripped my soul something fierce because of the absolute darkness of the heart of man in what Simeon and Levi did. And what's interesting in that passage is you don't see a whole lot said necessarily from Jacob. But obviously the man never forgot what happened. So there they are, thinking back to that day, thinking back to how they felt in that moment and their strength and their vigor and their fight. And dad looks at them and says, I want no part with you. You are violent men. All right. What, if you were to take the temperature of that room at this time, how do you think that would be sitting? Has dad just leveled three? The oldest and the second oldest, and the third oldest, and the other brothers are sitting there, and then he, now Judah. Judah's going, oh man, (laughs) so far so bad for the rest. I wonder how this will go. Judah, as for you, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He crouches, he lies down as a lion, and as a lioness who dares arouse him up. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. He ties his foal to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washes his garments in wine and his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are dark from wine and his teeth white from milk. Now, remember, we talked about difficulty of interpretation, right? Okay, so there's some of that here. But I will say this. The predominant blessing within what's being said here are going to go to Judah and Joseph. Um, The rest are either very negative or pretty quiet and short in what he says. But Judah is granted one of the most glorious places here. You may notice, and I, don't, I didn't look at every heading and every translation, just what they chose to put above it, but often what you'll hear this about is Jacob's blessing of his sons. Well, tell Reuben that. It, I don't think that that's necessarily the case so much as this is him speaking in prophetic speech in reference to the future for these men and the people that will come from them, And so, this is rather, these are the results of the character of my sons that will play out day in, day out to their children and to their children. So here, guys, it's pretty simple. Number one, Judah is a leader among his people. Notice that his brother's people will be serving him. That must have felt very salty to the older brother. Strength confidence. Like a lion, his people will be profoundly ferocious in battle, strong, uh, able to fight, victorious. You know, they say the king of the jungle, the lion. He's using that, that imagery here. They will rule over his own brother's people. They will have rule and authority. And then verses 11 to 12 speak of glorious prosperity Wine consistently, oh, throughout the Old Testament, it's, it's in reference to prosperity. And so what it's being used here, I believe, one interpretation I think is pretty clear and good, is you see wine being used as water. Not only water, but wash water. Um, I don't know how many of you save the water after you wash your dishes, but most humans don't. It's this there to clean. And what he's saying is, Prosperity. The wine is so abundant and we're so prosperous it's being used in this way. His eyes are dark and his teeth are white with milk. This is imagery, Old Testament imagery, painting a picture for you. And here's really what he's saying it's going to go well. You will be strong, you will have authority, you will have prosperity. I will bless you, Judah, and those that come from Judah. Now, there's also an absolute messianic connection to what's being said in this text. Do you remember the term used for Jesus in Revelation chapter 5? The lion of the tribe of... Oh, look at that. Isn't that fascinating? Almost like there's one author of the entire book, right? The Lion of the tribe of Judah. And so I do not see this in any way, shape, or form as a coinkydink or some kind of thing where somebody just put it together. This is the sovereign of the universe giving a hint that the Messiah will come from the line of Judah. Um, And so I believe very much this is pointing towards the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, or at least to Christ himself in his first coming as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Now, as Jesus comes, He is the absolute fulfillment of the glory being spoken of here. So I see a partial fulfillment and a full fulfillment, or an ultimate fulfillment. Partial fulfillment, Judah, you and your people will enjoy this. You will be preeminent, and you'll see that as you walk through your Old Testament, read through it. You'll see Judah be a preeminent piece to uh, the nation of Israel. And there's blessing and There's also some pretty strong language from Jeremiah, and particularly to Judah. But nonetheless, the Lord's blessing on them. But guys, I can't help but think that this also points to the return of Christ, where it speaks of the glory and the prosperity and the joy when he comes. My translation makes reference to when Shiloh comes. There's other translations that say when he who it belongs to comes. And there's different ways of translating. It's a very difficult thing to translate from what I gather. Now, here's the interesting part. The words are difficult to translate, but every single interpreter that I can find believes this is very clear to the, or referring to the Messiah's coming. That when the Messiah comes from the line of Judah. So Shiloh, he to whom it belongs, tough to understand the words, and the, but the meaning... Very much agreed upon. Now think about this. Eve, the seed of the woman, will crush the head of the serpent. Abraham, the seed of Abraham, I will bless them, and there will be many that will come from him, and every family of the earth will be blessed through the seed of Abraham. Isaac, Jacob, and now Judah. And from Judah, David. And then the Lord Jesus comes on the scene. And what do we call him? The son of David. You see that meta narrative, that great big line that tracks through the whole entire New Old Testament? As we see, this is all referring to Christ. This is a messianic reference to the coming of the Lord Jesus, even in the prophetic speech of Jacob to his boy. Zebulun. Look down at your Bible. 13. Zebulun will dwell at the seashore and he shall be a shore for ships, and his flank shall be toward Sidon. Need I say more? <laughs> now, isn't it interesting? You read Judah and you go, man, there's so much involved there. I just, I got to get into that and figure all that out. And then what, well, what, about, what about Zebulun? Uh, he's going to be on the shore. Okay, copy that. Next, let's look at Dan. Or Issachar, my bad. Issachar is a strong donkey lying down between the sheepfolds, and he saw that a resting place was good and that the land was pleasant. So he bowed his shoulder to bear burdens and became a slave at forced labor. Simply put, what's being foretold here about Issachar is you will sell your liberty for the ease of slavery. You will be enslaved as you find a resting place and simply surrender to that. Remember, here's the boys one after the other, after the other, after the other, listening intently to what their father is speaking. But remember, it's not just their father. He's speaking on behalf of God in this moment. Verse 16, Dan shall render justice to his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a horned snake in the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backwards. For your salvation, I hope, O Yahweh. Simply put, for Dan, you are going to be small but very ferocious. You are going to be small but very dangerous. And one little thing connected to that, remember Samson, just one man. And you think about the devastation caused to the Philistines just by that one man that came from Dan. Next. Well, let me just stop at 18 really quick. It's very fascinating that in the midst of all this, Jacob just blurts this out. For your salvation, I hope, O Yahweh. That his, his declaration in the middle of his sons is, I hope for this glory of the salvation that will come from you. And I can only imagine, you think about this as a father speaking these words to your children, And he cries out with a desire for salvation from Almighty God. Verse 19, as for Gad, raiders shall raid him, but he will raid at their heels. In other words, you will be attacked, you will be fought against, but you will find victory. Verse 20, as for Asher, his food shall be rich and he will yield royal dainties. I want to live with Asher. That sounds great. Um, Again, simply put, you are going to have God's blessing. So this is not merely bad news from dad. There are blessings that there will be fruit in your life. 21, Naphtali is a doe let loose. He gives beautiful words. My best guess there is that they're going to be swift warriors who also are composers. 22, Joseph is a fruitful (laughs) bow. A fruitful bow by a spring, its branches run over a wall, and the archers bitterly attacked him and shot at him, and they bore a grudge against him. But his bow remained firm, and his arms are agile from the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, from there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, from the God of your Father who helps you, and by the Almighty who blesses you with blessings of heaven above Blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb. The blessings of your father have surpassed the blessing of my ancestors. Up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills, may they be on the head of Joseph, and on the top of the the head of the one distinguished among his brothers. The idea of that bow is this plant that follows up a trellis and just absolutely gets strong and goes everywhere. What he's speaking of is, Joseph, there will be tremendous fruitfulness that will flow from you. uh, My word that I just put over Joseph is immense blessing from the sovereign one, because it states over and over, this is coming from almighty God. Immense blessing from the Lord, blessed in a profound way and distinguished from all of his brothers. And lastly, look at 27. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he devours the prey, and in the evening he divides the spoil. Again, simply put, victory. Strength, ferocious, victory. And it's interesting to me, beloved, that the two main things you see sprinkled throughout what he says about his boys here are in reference to prosperity and fruitfulness and victory in battle and strength. That I will bless you and I will, and you will be granted safety. Now, there are certainly some in here that get neither of those. But it's a mixed bag what this father says to his sons. In verse 28, all these are the 12 tribes of Israel and this is what their father spoke to them. So he blessed them, he blessed them, everyone with the blessing appropriate to him. <laughs> then he commanded them and said to them, I'm about to be gathered to my people, bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite. In the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought along with the field from Ephron the Hittite as a possession for a burial site, there they buried Abraham and his wife Sarah, there they buried Isaac and his wife Rebekah, and there I buried Leah, the field that the cave that is in it purchased from the sons of Heth." So Jacob finished commanding his sons, and he drew his feet into the bed and breathed his last. And I love this. And was gathered to his people. Beloved, I don't know if you've taken the time to wrestle, or not necessarily wrestle, but just search this out. But to look at the euphemisms, the language used in reference to believers dying. Do you notice that it doesn't say, and then his life was over? Now, was it? Earthly, maybe. But that's not how the Bible speaks. Why? Because this isn't it. This isn't the end. And so what's what's being declared there is, and then Jacob went into glory. Then Jacob went to his people. Then Jacob went before his God. Remember that whole intimacy and God's power, and the relationship, the depth of relationship this man had enjoyed throughout that span of his life, now you go to that God for all eternity, Jacob. Yeah, he's doing some housekeeping, and that's really what's taking place here, as he says, boom, 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 pointing to these boys. But then at the end, he says, now, here's what I need. I need you guys to see to it that I'm buried back in the land promised. I need to go back to that cave. I need to go back to Canaan. You go, "What's your problem, Jacob? You're going to go be with the Lord? who do you what do you care where you're buried?" This is even an act of faith because this is Jacob declaring, "I believe the promise of God." What promise? Well, way back here, God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, I want you to leave this pagan lifestyle. I want you to walk away from this life that you've been leading. I want you to follow me. Okay, where are we going? I'm going to tell you. When? When you get there. And by the way, when you get there, I'm also going to tremendously bless you with a seed. A ton are going to come from you, multitudes are going to come from you. I'll change your name from Abram to Abraham. You'll be father of nations. But not only that, not only that, Abraham, you follow me. I'll give you this land, I'll give you this people, and I will bless absolutely every single family from your seed. There is a sovereign Trinitarian game plan that will come to complete fruition. And Abraham, I'm letting you be a a little tiny piece at the beginning of that. You see, there's a seed of Eve that will crush the head of the serpent. And Abraham, that seed of Eve is going to be your seed. No, not one of these tribes, not not Naphtali, not, not any of these people, not even Magnificent David. No, 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 none of them. The Glorious One, who will be God in the flesh from the line of Judah, the Son of David, the seed of Abraham, the seed of the woman. You see, beloved, it's just... My mind cannot take in all of that. It's just so overwhelming to think of how many nanoseconds of time are involved in God's glorious plan here. And so Jacob is not being silly, saying, well, I already picked out my plot. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, I desire to go back to the land that was promised. So gentlemen, see to it that I go back there. Because I still believe wholeheartedly in the promise of the living God. That ink is not wasted, beloved, in in recording what Jacob says at the end of his life. Because remember, after speaking to all of his sons, the last request is, this is what I want you to do for me. Okay, Dad, we'll do that. Okay. And he's gone. And they watch his body stop. His chest doesn't rise anymore the glorious, magnificent patriarch Jacob, the man who has granted the name Israel, is gone from this earth in the presence of his God. I don't know if you've ever been there when somebody has passed, like the moment they stop. But the holiness of that moment There's no word quite to describe how still and quiet and calm and special that moment is. As these brothers looked at each other in the face and watched their dad go. Beloved, when we deeply study the Old Testament... We will be more and more impressed with the fact that Almighty God is sovereign, gracious, and completely faithful to what He said. Growing in our knowledge of the character of God will produce greater faith, greater love, greater joy, and a desire to truly live for the glory of the King. We are not... And I, I, I'm preaching in the choir, I get that. We are not wasting our time here as we pour over the text. There's something about the fullness of the text of Scripture, all brought together, that God does something supernaturally in your soul, that He produces a mature believer. So, soak it up, my friends search out the richness of the truth of God revealed in the precious, sweet text of sacred scripture. I'm super stoked to preach Romans. There's just this little bitterness that Genesis is coming to an end. Father, thank you for your precious word.